Hello and welcome to The Last Standee, a board game podcast coming to you from three exciting countries across Europe. I'm joined here today by Audrey. Hello everyone. And Cara. Konnichiwa. We're your host, Ven, And today we're going to be talking about some really, really pretty games with Tokaido Brew and Bees. But before we get into that, it's time for the last Andy catch-up. And what's been up with you, Cara? Um, well, the, the last uh, few days, I've spent a lot of time creating a um, role-playing character for a role-playing game, a German role-playing game, Splittermond. Uh, splitter moon would be the translation or splittered moon and um god it's been a while since i created a role-playing character <laughs> and doing it for a, an unfamiliar system is, is quite a lot of work i realized or can be quite a lot of work so reading a lot of rules and um story and whatnot um yeah, apart from that, I um, decided to change one thing for in game nights when I'm hosting. Um, instead of sitting down and asking people, okay, what do you want to play? And then they look at my collection and no one can decide. And we sit there for one, one and a half hours without playing anything until someone finally decides on something. I'll pre-select a handful of games and um, we just, you know, choose between them which uh, also means i can read the rules for them beforehand so that should be helpful and i'm i'm really proud of this discovery <laughs> yeah it's very close to what we do here when we go to the club uh on the saturday evenings we pick up uh, a few games we put them into our board game uh, bag and we go and we pick up games that we know are fast enough to explain and feed the, the club. So yeah, having a first selection is, is a life changer <laughs> and a time saver. Yeah, definitely. And I, I actually tried it out on Monday when I actually went to other people. Um, but I just picked two games, took them with me and I said, hey, here, I have these two games. And they immediately were, oh yeah, we can play them. And that was it. So no discussion whatsoever and that's it's just great <laughs> when you just you know get to play yeah that's um that's pretty much how i used to do it in the uk where uh, the general rule was everyone bought one or two games they're interested in playing um and some people just never brought games because they didn't buy them they just played which is great uh, and then we'd uh, pop them on the table and usually pick like a main event game and then like a, one or two fillers. And that was about it. Works pretty well. Fan, that actually leads me to a maybe weird, maybe uncomfortable question. You just said, you know, there are some people who didn't buy games, only played. And I actually, I, I at some point I did wonder in, in my gaming group, everyone plays, uh, buys games, but um, is it fair if like one person invests a lot of money into this hobby and others, you know, just enjoy playing it without having to invest anything? Uh, I think it's perfectly fair. I mean, it's a game is a social experience. I'm not buying the game, um, at least for me, within the purpose of, oh, I'll buy this game, you buy this game, you buy this game. I also like to own the game. So... 
you know, I have plenty of people I play with, I play games and they don't own them or we don't play their copies or so on. And it's just, it's just the way it is. Uh, so maybe some other people might not feel so, I don't know, socialist about it, but I figure, uh, you know, a gaming can afford to support people who don't buy games or buy few games for a bunch of different circumstances. A uh, good example would be one of my friends from a role-playing group, uh, because he's long-term incapacitated, he has very little money, so he can't afford to buy games. Uh, I don't begrudge it. He plays, you know, every week with us. Oh, yeah. I mean, if if uh, if someone, you know, d doesn't have the money, I wouldn't say, hey, you can't afford this hobby with me. That's, that would be just cruel and stupid. And But um, I... I, I it's really something I wonder about sometimes, like if people would have the money and uh, when I host game night, I also buy, buy snacks and drinks and stuff. And um, yeah, I don't know, it, it kind of feels like it would be more fair if um, one would share the costs to a certain degree. Mm. Well, I can say for certain when it comes to snacks and stuff, uh, you're on your own with me. Get your own stuff, partly because I can't eat mm, the same snacks as anyone else because I can't consume any sugars or carbohydrates, um, which is like, that's snacks, basically. Uh, so, but I've, we've always been like that, of that kind of stuff. Uh, you bring your own. And if you want to share with other people, and often people do, then that's great. Uh, but yeah, I, I've not really ever thought too much about it as somebody who... I like buying games and then organizing them by color and size. <gasps> oh, but by so, color is such a pretty thing to do. It is. You do get a bit of a problem when you have stuff like um, like the Red Raven series where the you know above and below and near and far and now and never are all three very distinct colors. But you really shouldn't keep them anywhere other than next to each other. So that's... Uh, but yeah, it's... Um, definitely like to trend my collection going like black through the rainbow and then up to white uh when i can that's actually something w w one friend from my gaming group uh where i was on monday he doesn't sort his board games in any way and um so he actually has like legends of andor um all three parts and they are all in different places. And I was standing in front of his shelf and was like, what are you doing? Why? <laughs> and look, here you have Ian's End and down there are the expansions. And <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, yeah, I, I hmm. will not speak too much because my shelves are like half organized. Like there is the... I use the IKEA uh, square uh, well-known shelves. Uh, and I have like one square where there is uh, both Eonzen and Spirit Island and Terraforming Mars, which is like the slightly expert uh, square. Uh, I have one where there is Colt Express and Takenoko, which is how I can play this with whoever. It's more by type of game here. So Yeah, yeah it makes sense. As long as you've got a system. That's really, you know, and sometimes those games just buck the system. A lot of the games that sit in my office, they're far too large for the shelving situation I use upstairs because they are long. And I've only got so much space to put long games on top of the cupboards I use. Uh, and that, so it's kind of mayhem down here. But upstairs is a, a gradually increasing more and more order. And that's what matters more than anything, as far as I'm concerned, is my ability to find something. Um, 
yeah, I, I've gone for pleasing colours, but there's also like a bit of a theming wherever possible. Um, I do have a closed cupboard that, for example, contains all movie tie-in games. So it's got like The Thing, uh, Egg Infection Outpost th uh, 31, and Aliens, and all of those like, boof, in the same place. Uh, but yeah, um, I... I I don't care as long as you organise it in some fashion. I don't. I think it's crazy to have the expansions to a game sitting very far away from where the game is because then, like, you're going to pick up the game and play that and forget about the expansions, or you just like, why not get just get the expansions condensed into as few boxes as possible? Is normally my preference. Well, anyway, uh, Audrey, what about you? What have you been up to? Uh I can attest that I have reached a stage three of uh, Cat is Hot. Uh, because he has found uh, new places to hide. Uh, that's not a board game thing because he is not going into board game uh, cupboards. But right now he is looking at me from the inside of the cupboard where he sleeps now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's the first uh, silly thing. Then um, I have found a new job, which I'm going to be starting very soon already when we record. So I think when this episode is published, I will be working. <laughs> so which is uh, very good news. Uh, the project is very interesting. Um, on the board game front, uh, I don't really have much to say now because uh, last weekend my parents were there and we played Bees. Uh, and well, as friend already mentioned, Bees is going to be uh, one of our topics. So I'm going to save my parents' reaction for when we talk about Bees. <laughs> Um, there is, however, a subject that I want to talk about just a bit. Uh, it's that when we record uh, that episode, the pledge manager for Midara uh, Wave 2, let's say, of the current Kickstarter has been open for a few hours or days. And there are a few interesting things in there, I, I personally think. Um, first thing is that they aren't charging shipping for now. They want to wait until they're getting close to wave to shipping, which they estimate to be around December. And so they said that we can probably look up to uh, shipping being started uh, in autumn. I think that's a smart move. Uh, as long as they can manage it with backer kit, which uh, are still learning lots of stuff for pledge manager reopenings, apparently. Uh, but yeah, I think that... Uh, as the situation right now is still super volatile, charging shipping close to the shipping date uh, is very smart. And I hope that we can get to see more companies doing that. It also helps spread expenses a bit. So I think that's going to be something that in general backer can, uh, let's say, appreciate. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know a lot of people co complain about it, or at least some people complain about it, because they, you know, want to know how much they have to pay now. But um, I mean, we've seen it in different projects that it only leads to problems. Either they have to charge more later, or they even might have to reimburse people, or um, or they take a big loss. So. 
Yeah, uh, I was part of the Black Rose Wars uh, Kickstarter from Ludus Magnus Studio, and they had at some point they asked uh, we they asked only willing backers to pay a bit more. That was around something like 15 euros uh, to have their stuff shipped first and to help the shipping happen just at all. And yeah, I think that waiting until shipping happens is a good idea to avoid that kind uh, of things, but also avoid too much delay also helps avoiding that. Also, they're still offering um, the, st the same stuff. The prices have increased a bit, so I think that they have a bit, uh, let's say, either a bit fairer assessment of the exact amount of components and how much things are going to cost. Uh, and our price uh, of components has increased, which I, is probably part of it. Um, and they are offering uh, two different upgrade packs. I think that, that's something that I saw that confused many people because there are two different packs. There is a compatibility pack and the update pack. And the compatibility pack is like if you ha if you bought in the Kickstarter, uh, um, oh, what's the name? Uh, Acts uh, 2 or and or 3, um, you will get the compatibility pack to make your Act 1 compatible with 2 and 3. This will replace uh, specific cards, specific rule uh, places, uh, maybe stickers to put in the rulebook, I don't know, uh, to just update it a bit. And this one will be included for no extra charge to everyone who has Act 2 and or 3 in their pledge. But then there is the update pack and as far as I understood this update pack is mostly a pack in which you get the rulebook and all the cards of Act 1 updated to fit the 1.2 version and uh, Act 2 and 3 will be uh, fitting for will be adapted to a 1.2 version. But for most of the cards that are changed, the, ma the major changes are adding uh, at some places the version number. And I think that's a that's an, in my opinion that's an incredible waste. Actually, you are you are, you are buying a full set of cards, a full rule book, to have version numbers. I think that either they missed explaining something, or if it's just that it's an uh, for me it's an ecological disaster. But then we are speaking about plastic miniatures, so at some point you're like, yeah, a bit more, a bit less. We don't know, but. Yeah, I'm still puzzled by the explanations that were done about uh, that one. It's a bit confusing. And yeah, uh, all cards in a new version, when sometimes it's mo mostly the version number added, I, I'm a bit, uh, let's say, um, uncomfortable with uh, this idea. Apparently, at some points, there are a few, let's say, calculations that changes. So um, it, something that will affect probabilities or some stuff and apparently shift a bit the difficulty of some stuff. But it shouldn't matter much if you have version 1.1. So, yeah, I, I don't know, but uh, I am a bit uncomfortable with full set of cards and a rule book for I think it was it's twenty dollar. It's not too expensive uh, for people that want it, but yeah, the uh, repercussions I don't know. And the last thing that I wanted to mention is the resin kits of Midara. So far, there have been now three waves of Midara resin kits. The first wave of ten, which were included in the 
Kickstarter and pledges, uh, but you could or could not pick up depending on your funds and how you like them, etc. etc. The second raising kit, which was basically the Valentine's 2021 uh, release, even though it didn't happen at Valentine's, and the Valentine's uh, raising kit of 2022, which didn't happen for Valentine, either they call them the Looper Kelly and they're supposed to be for Valentine's, but anyway. And so these are packs with resin, so 10 for the first ones and 4 packs uh, for the uh, two later ones, which includes all the time uh, as well, few cards if you want to have a new adventurer, a new, um, I think some new uh, foes, etc. Some new gear cards which are promo, etc. And in that Kickstarter reopening, you have two new packs, which are the promo pack for Kickstarter and the Valentine's 2021 pack, which are the same miniatures but redone in plastic, and all the cards of a pack. I think that's $30 ish when each resin pack was $100 in the Kickstarter and then $200 for the first one and $100 for then the pack of the four boxes for the 2021 and 2022 box. And I think that's really amazing to see a company making the promo content available for a smaller price than with the resin, uh, let's say, limited kit, because as they mentioned as well, they don't have yet any plan to have the resins again up for sale in a very uh, close future. So I think that uh, having that available for the people that want the gameplay content is a good move. And you still have the miniature although in plastic and not in the best plastic, uh, so if you want to have a miniature in your, on your game, uh, you know, on your table, that, that goes with it. So I think that's a good move, and I think mm, there are a few companies that I can think of who should do the same kind of things. I'm not going to name them, because I think our listeners should know based from past discussion who I am talking about. Right? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess I'm um I'm like the equivalent of not a late backer, but I'm somebody who picked up um Act One when it first hit their store. Uh, so I was able to get it with all of the Kickstarter stuff just for a bit more of a price. And I, at this point now, I still can't decide if I want to go on to Act Two and Three. Um, I've been looking through this page for a while. One of the things I have noticed is they've increased the number of um playmats they get that that you can buy yeah and i, I um, oh yes i forgot that i i i semi hate it because now as the playmats uh, fit future characters that you can play it's a spoiler it is it is but it also isn't because if you look through that list of characters that are extra ones um most of them are in act one um except for the the pirate girl but she's present at the end of act one uh, they've already spoiled like a couple of sections of the plot quite heavily um, in the Kickstarter. Uh, if you've been fortunate and not seen them, that's fine. I avoided um, all the spoilers. Yeah, it's it's a bit weird because I'm looking at it and they've got a playmat of ten characters, uh, you know, which you've seen. And I'm like, uh, some of these characters could just not be in Act Two at all. They could just be dead. Um, I don't know. No spoilers. So, so, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not spoiling you. It's not. It's not a spoiler that, depending on your choices, some characters can live or die because that's the print part of the principle of Midara. I'm looking at them going. Well, there's ten characters. You could be entering Act Two with like, I think maybe three of them alive. So uh, not out of the ten, but out of the ones you start with, it's quite possible. 
uh, and it's sort of I expected to see more play mats, um, uh, especially given that I'm looking at these characters um, and. I only really like three of them. I, I would have expected new playmats and the bags, the tug bags, uh, neutral. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe they could have put some, like, question marks over it or, uh, or you know, or a, here's a non-spoiler image and here's a spoiler image or something. Um, yeah, and that puts me in an odd spot as well because I own four of the playmats and I'm like, well, do I need... Should I get the other six? And then that's, like... I start trending towards, well, do I get... What what bundle do I go for? Because, to be honest, I kind of just want to get the Act 2 and 3 bundle because it's the cheapest. Um, but then I do have the playmats and bags for one lot kicking around. I'll probably be okay with that. i got to figure out, in particular, what might not be available um, in the store in the future. Because, I mean... A lot of this has done, and I don't. I don't know. I think but... I've seen the playmats uh, on the store, but uh, they they were. They yeah, didn't seem yeah. to be in a high supply uh, quantity. No, no, they I mean, they weren't. I mean, the, go on, sorry. They they did on multiple occasions say they don't want to, you know, make things um, unavailable later on. Like they don't want to release something that you have to get now and can't get later. Um, so I would expect everything, maybe except uh, resin releases, um, to be available at their store later on. Yeah, and, and since it happened already, why not happen again? Um, I am I, seeing one thing which I think is worth paying attention to is this uh, Lupercalia 2021 pack. This is like a pack of all of the previous ha uh, Valentine's Day releases, uh, but in plastic. And it's like $30 for the plastic pack in full, whereas separately I paid way more than that for them. Yeah, I think it was €25, um, Euro, uh, the single box, and there were four of them, or maybe $30 a box. I, yeah, I, I got the, the bundle of them all together, and it, it was a bit of a mare to get because there was casting problems, but they sorted it out. Uh, and I will say that their distribution into Europe has been very good and very transparent. Like, I knew where they were all the times with... Um, where my replacements were going. Um, so I knew what time they were arriving and everything. So uh, casting mistakes happen. That's no problem. They sorted out really well. But I am looking at that and I'm like, I, d I don't think I'm going to touch this 2022 Lupercaria resin kit, um, even if I wanted them to paint, because now I'm thinking, well, are they going to come out in plastic in a year or, or so? Then I'd be better off waiting and getting them all $30 as opposed to... $120 for they are if you bought them all separately also in my opinion from the previous pack and all of the extra bits and pieces I've got I don't think any of this extra stuff's particularly great you don't get more characters for the main story you get some more like alternate characters for playing in standalone adventures which is great if that's what you want to be doing or you get more espers that you know you can summon um but the, the most value I got is the resin miniatures for the four main characters who they're nicer sculpts than the plastic ones. Um, yeah. But although they said they're updating the the sculpts for this next wave, you know, the, the new stuff is going to be higher quality in plastic, which um, I look forward to. But yeah, I, I think I'm making a decision in the first week of July as to what I'm doing because they're keeping open till July 8th. Uh, so I'm going to decide then. But at the moment, the most likely thing based on like 
budget constraints is I might just ask for Act 2 and 3 bundle as my birthday present. Uh, yeah, like eventually. <laughs> um, although they do seem to get stuff out like faster. What are they promising? Like quarter four uh, here for about, uh, the net wave two items. Which, yeah, yeah, that's that's not too bad to, you know, order it in July and get it December. Yeah. If we get it in December. I, it, yeah. It seems yeah, th optimistic. December is a sh bad shipping month. <laughs> it is, it is. Yeah, here I'm probably going to just uh, not add anything. By the playmats, we talked a bit uh, why. Uh, the tech bags as well. And I had the with swag uh, pledge level, so I don't need. We never need anything anyway. Uh, but I definitely don't. And I'm going to keep money for uh, if. Uh, that that Kickstarter comes available in French, the Queen's Dilemma. But I'm not sure it's going to be available in French during the Kickstarter. Yeah, probably not during the Kickstarter. We'll have to have to see on that one. But uh, yeah, that's um, that's a lot of thoughts about the Badara pledge opening, and um, it's confusing. There are many, oh, oh. there are many items, and that in itself can be confusing. But I have to say that I like that when you are in the ad. Uh, extra add-ons, well, edit add-on section, you can uh, see all which which is in your pledge uh, on the right uh, side of the page or top if you are on mobile. And I really love that whether you are on computer or on a mobile phone, you can see what you already have and check it. Um, I'm just going to add one thing, which is that if you're not in the pledge and you're like a late pledger, like I would technically be for this, you go onto the page, the link that they provide, and there's, it's, I, I sat there for several minutes trying to work out how I added anything to an order because there's no buttons. You have to click on each individual item and then you can click add it. It was, I, I was expecting to see buttons like straight up there on the different things. So uh, <laughs> the interface for a somebody coming in to just do a late pledge doesn't seem as good as those people who are already in there, but that's the not the fault of... Uh, succubus publishing they're not the they didn't design this did they yeah i, I think we should probably uh, move on from madara and i guess it's time for me to ask fen what fen's been up to so what have you been up to fen yes tell well, us. thank you very much for asking that's quite kind of you you're my favorite person well you're not mine um great thanks so <laughs> anyway, um, as I talked about the last few episodes, we've got f like finally got guests coming. Um, especially, they feel more confident in visiting Gotland now um, because of the various political shifts. We're not going to get into it, but I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. It's terrible, but at least we're seeing some stability here now. Um, and the electrician's just been today to put the lights in. So... This is a nice little wrinkle that nobody in the family here knew at all. But in Sweden, if uh, you're going to have a light in your bathroom, it must be installed by an electrician. Like, if it's not, uh, and there's a whole bunch of light, usually you just plug the lights into the sockets at the top. You're not allowed to do that. If you do that and, it, and you don't have like a receipt that says an electrician did this, you're not going to get insurance if that sparks out and burns the house down. Yeah, yeah, and so, so we're talking about two, you know, two people, 
who have been alive for quite a few decades, um, you know, the old folks, uh, and they had no idea. And they've, they've had, you know, multiple houses constructed on the island and nobody ever told them that bit of, like, code, um, building code. So that was like, oh, okay, so we had an electrician round to install the bathroom light over there. Check that the bathroom lights in here are fine. Um, they are. He installed them. So that's not a problem if they go. Mind you, if they spark and this place burns down, I won't be able to do my job anymore. Yeah. Because everything I, I think about that is everything my job's based around, I need physical access to it and, I, and replacing all the stuff that's here. Some of it is irreplaceable. Uh, but yeah, at least we're insured, which is the big thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, must have been a, at least a small scare, if not more. It was a concern for a bit, but we, it's all sorted out now. And um, the electrician clarified, because previously he, we'd been told that he said he wasn't willing to visit the property because uh, the, he didn't like the dog. And the dog had to be not on the property uh, if he was coming there. It turns out that's not what he said at all. That was a translation, like, uh, mis you know, miscommunication through a, a second party who relayed the message to us. Uh, who And really, in truth, like, he just found her to be fairly funny. Um, and as long as she just stayed out of the way uh, while he did his work, uh, he didn't care. Oh, which is um, pretty different. It is. Well, it, it, he kind of understood what happened, which is that when he met her um, the first time, he... He, he didn't move particularly, but he made the mistake of looming over the top of her rather than crouching down, you know, squatting to say hello to a dog or just leaning down and put your hand out. He loomed over her and she got frightened and snapped at him. And that's all that happened. Uh, yeah. Um, so that's, that's all been sorted. Uh, I've been constructing uh, decks for Arkham Horror for when my guests come, because we're going to play through at least one of the campaigns. The new campaign is kind of fun. It's based on Mountains of Madness, and it's lots of um, exploring in like a uh, mountainous frozen wasteland. And there's a whole bunch of uh, partner characters, you know, allies that NPCs, and they uh, they have like depending on who's alive or not, various different things change. So it's looking interesting. It's the first game they did while they're transitioning towards this new system and designing these stories. So some people who experienced that I've read have said it's got problems, but the people who played it and like they haven't played too much of the old stuff, which is what we'll be like, or at least most of us will be like. Um, uh, have had a wonderful time, so I'm pretty excited about that. Should be fun. Although it's uh, it's tiring constructing decks for Arkham. There's the resources are very scattered around, and there's so much of this. Oh, you could build this particular deck, but you need to own these cards. And then there's these guides that some people do, which is like, here's the core game plus one expansion cycle. You better own the whole cycle, or you can't make the deck because they spread the player cards all the way through. But I think we talked a bit about that in the previous episode and how they're changing the distribution model for Arkham. And I'm going to get into it sometime when Alessio's here in more detail. Uh, apart from that, I've been uh, painting a Dragon King and a Lonely Tree. Um, I'm painting Death High stuff. Yes, yes, I, I like Death High stuff. It's... Yeah. Is that uh, Dragon King going to be much different from the one you microwaved? 
Oh, it's very different. Yes. Yeah. Um, the the one I'm the one I've microwaved uh, isn't going anywhere. That's the one we usually play with. But um, I wanted I've got owned two Dragon Kings. Um, Only. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, there's three Dragon Kings in the house right now. <laughs> one of them is for a client. That's finished. I need to get the tree done um, and the tyrant done, and then that can go off. Uh, and then I own two because. Um, there was a period in the UK where people were just selling off Kingdom Death stuff cheap. Um, yeah, it was before the game really went nuts. It was before the second Kickstarter. And so I ended up owning, I owned like two Gorms, two um, Dung Beetle Knights, two Tyrants. I had technically have three Tyrants, but I famously melted one on camera by accident um, while I was doing some promotional work with Twist. Uh, so I've got one Tyrant missing an arm. Um, so I don't know what to do with him and yeah so I mostly have two of each apart from Spiritcules and the Sunstalker which I only have one of um, which is a shame because if I had a second Sunstalker I'd chop the top off it and I'd uh, mount this um, bust that I found that's like of a um, a shark girl so I could have a, a, a it would go with all the pinups you know yeah I'm going to say not having a second spidiculus is not uh, too bad too big of a problem but a second stalker could be nice yeah a second spidiculus is like more or less hey just put this base on the ground job done there it is it's right there get yourself some toy spiders to represent the spiderlings and that's all you need uh, but we've, we've waffled for long enough, I think. We should get on to the games themselves. Uh, so I think our first one is a very beautiful, calm and magical journey uh, through... It's one of my favourite experiences to just play. Um, it's a very simple game with a surprising amount of depth. Uh, that is Tokaido. Yeah, um, so um, I'll start with... a bit of background, um, Tokaido is the name of a um, traveling route in Japan. It is an historic route, um, dates back to medieval times um, and connected the uh, two important cities of uh, Kyoto and Edo, um, now Kyoto and Tokyo. And um, yeah, so um, it exists today, you, still today, you can travel it. Uh, the pictures look beautiful um, if you look it up online. Um, so if you ever get to Japan, maybe take a look. And um, yeah, so it was an historic travel route uh, connecting these cities. Um, there's a lot of art and um, culture around it. Um, as not just a you know trade route, but also a route that people took uh, for leisure and um, in the game you play each one um, of these travelers traveling the Tokaido. Um, you start in uh, Kyoto and travel to Edo, though there is a variant where you travel in a different direction. Um, and what first really got me was it looks at first like a race you know, um, who gets to the goal the fastest, but it actually isn't. And technically it's pretty easy to get to the finish line first, but uh, then you likely will lose because the goal of the game isn't to be the fastest or most powerful or whatever. It, the goal is to have the most fulfilled travel experience. 
which I just think is beautiful. And um, the game plays um, basically the player who is the farthest, furthest behind uh, may move. Yeah? And so if uh, you're the last in line and in front of you are like two free spaces, you can move twice and then a third time and only then you pass others and they can move again. So um, yeah, you can really take your time in this game. And um, yeah, that's, that's mostly <laughs> what's there to say about the rules. Um, every space has different effects. And there you have uh, farming spaces where you get uh, money, you have um, hot spring uh, places uh, where you visit a hot, a hot spring and collect a card for that, which gives you points. Um, and my, my most favorite spaces are the uh, panorama spaces where you uh, collect cards for a panorama. There are three different panoramas. One is rice paddies. Uh, consisting of three different cards. One is the mountain panorama consisting of four cards and one is the ocean panorama consisting of five cards. And uh, each uh, each uh, additional card gives more points. And um, so yeah, basically take your time to take in the scenery. And um, yeah, it's it gets more depth. First of all, even at this point, it does actually have quite a lot of depth because you have to decide which place you move to. Um, and it can really lead to you sitting there and calculating, okay, if I move here, then next is this player's turn. And uh, okay, he's collecting panorama, so he likely move there. And then will this player's be this player's turn? And he will probably move there when I can't go there. So I maybe should go there. It's um, it, it's a brain a brain teaser sometimes, and um, but it gets more depth with uh, individual player powers. Um, so you have different characters you can take that have different abilities. Um, you have these nice uh, cards, cardboard uh, cards with artwork and their ability on them. Um, like uh, getting additional points for specific things or uh, stuff like that and um, yeah and then there are expansions um, which i highly recommend if you want uh, to have more of a feel of um, having different decisions to make um, because one of the expansions basically adds an alternate action to each space. So every time you reach, you go to a space, you have a choice between two different actions and um, yeah, doubling your options. And um, the other expansion is actually pretty small. It's the Matsuri expansion that um, just introduces specific events. During the game, there are three special spaces, the um, ins in between, um, where everyone has to wait for the others. So um, you can't just, on your first action, move to the finish line. Um, you have to wait at these three points for the others. And once everyone has reached one of these points, 
with the expansion you draw events and something hence basically some celebration um, some festivity that gives uh, additional rules or effects to the players and um, yeah that's that's it with this uh, Matsuri expansion um, yeah I really love love this game it's beautiful it's simple to teach it's uh, simple to play has a lot of depth to it and um, it's just you know relaxing it's it, you don't have feel like you're in a hurry to reach something or um, there is not really a um, big feeling of competitiveness um, I mean sure you you can take spaces away from others but it's never like oh damn I don't know what I shall do now because this one space I wanted to go to is not available anymore because you still have many options left and um, there are no bad options uh, it's not like damn everything I can do now is bad for me um, it's, you always have things to do and um, yeah so based from, what, for me. based from what you say it makes me think a bit of parks um, I would say it's it, they're, it, they're both definitely games of moving forward on a track and you can't go backwards uh, and so you want to pick the best possible spot for you landing on um, and also calculate when you're going to get to have a go next. So yeah, there's definitely some mechanical similarities in those. I never remember what the exact mechanic is called for it. Um, but, you know, it's a kind of traveling mechanic. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, yes, like, um, I've played a, a lot of games of Takedo. Um, the fact that I have the app version means it's pretty easy for me to jump on and just play, like, for five, ten minutes and get a game through. Uh, and what I like about it is it's really easy to get people into it. It's got a very low, like, barrier to entry. It's just like, okay, well... Pick where you'd like to go next on the track. Just be aware you can't go anywhere someone already is. You can't backtrack. So you can only move forwards. And when you reach an inn, you've got to purchase a meal and wait for everyone else to catch up. Which everybody can click with that, really. Um, and it's it's always fun. There's this strange, like, exciting ooh moments at every single stop. It's like, ooh, look at this piece of a panorama. This is pretty. You, know, you flip it over and, oh, I want to complete this. Or... You get some nice, beautiful, illustrated card for a random encounter with someone. Uh, or um, buying the souvenirs. Every single one of those has like beautiful artwork. It's very much... There's a lot of emphasis on a rich experience to try and link the theme with the mechanics. And I think they do a great job of doing that, for sure. Um I also really like the minimalistic appearance of the main board, which I think contrasts like with Parks. Parks, like every single section of the game is really like something to look at. There's always the, the individual cards are all gorgeous, but the board is gorgeous. Um, and Takedo sort of strips that back with a lot of simplicity with this white. Um, so, yeah. Now, I, I, I just want to say, like, there is actually, you would think, move, do a thing, 
then move, do a thing, move, do a thing. Um, might not be particularly deep, but that's where, if you play it a lot, there is actually an interesting economic engine underneath, where in essence the game boils down to converting coins into points. And as you play it more and more, and I'm not going to spoil everything and go into all, uh, you'll learn sort of stuff like it's best to buy cheap food at the inn if you can. Uh, and you never want to get caught without any money. So pay attention to your money and don't buy things just because you can buy them. Buy them because they're what you're after and what's valuable. And don't be afraid to skip spaces, uh, which is all fun. Um, I physically, uh, and I, I, I own the um, anniversary edition. Um, it's a bit odd though, because I picked it up second hand. So it's the anniversary edition. It's missing the Matsuri expansion and the miniatures. Um, and they've not been available for ages. But the box is designed specifically to hold the trays and use those trays to hold other pieces in place. So every time I open this box and I keep it flat, everything is slid everywhere because there's just there's gaps where there's meant to be more trays fitted in. Um, but weirdly, yeah, on top of all of that, I just saw us getting the fifth anniversary edition. Um, it's also got like the uh, the new encounters expansion in there, which is like four extra promotional cards and Eriku, who's a promotional character. So I got a real deal when I bought it, but it doesn't stop me getting really annoyed that I don't have the Matsuri miniatures. Like the game's perfectly played. I've got all the Matsuri characters for some reason. All of them are in there. The Wait, were they what character? Uh, the Matsuri characters. No, the, uh, the, characters. The, the encounter expansion. Yeah, the you know I think it's yeah is it Matsuri? Surely there are yeah the characters that come in Matsuri. There's like um a bunch of them. I have the character cards for them, but I do not have the Matsuri um uh, cards themselves, the small ones that came with that. They're, like they have like Hanabi on them and things like that. It's a separate deck, and I don't have the t tokens. So I don't know what's going on with it at all. Um, but I've been waiting for two years for them to get Matsuri and the miniatures back into stock. Because nobody sells it on the secondary market. I think that says a lot about how popular this game is. In that the people who have it are not selling these uh, these expansions. They're all, they're all gone. Yeah. And it's actually what you just mentioned with the fifth anniversary edition. If people are looking for this game, there are different versions. Um, and like the core ver standard version is in retail, at least in Germany. And um, there is this fifth anniversary edition. I have the deluxe edition. Um, I think there is another one as well, um, but yeah. It's uh, it can be a little bit confusing if you you know try to figure out how to get everything. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just checked. Mine is uh, the collector's edition, and it comes with the Crossroads expansion in it, but and spaces for the other stuff. But it's not meant to have any of the other stuff, which is why I get confused about having half of the stuff from Matsuri. <laughs> yeah. Second hand. About the game board, um, 
there's actually one point of criticism from me. Um, I, I think there are different game boards, uh, like the uh, Deluxe Edition has this game board where it has card spaces on it, uh, which the Retail Edition doesn't have, I believe. Can um, confirm that that's the version I have with the card spaces on the board. And um, so it's, it's really big. I just folded it out and it's, it's a huge board. Um, my criticism is the point track. The rules, well, from the rules, you're supposed to count your points every time you get them, like immediately and move along the track. But first of all, you basically get points every time. And so you, you move around a lot on the point track. And um, secondly, the point track zigzags. So it's two rows of numbers and you start in the bottom row and then you move uh, up and right to the one and then down and right to the two and then up and right to the three. And we got really confused by it so much so that we decided we will count points at the end because <laughs> we, several times we sat there and we're like, wait, did, did I move, move correctly now or what? And so we just said, whatever, we can count everything at the end. It's no problem. <laughs> just, yeah. And an interesting tidbit, if you count the spaces on the board, not counting start and end spot, basically, you know, Kyoto and Tokyo or Edo, um, you have 53 spaces. And uh, that's the number of uh, post offices, post stations along the historic route. So it's actually correct. That's pretty cool. Well, there were actually 53 stops along the way. Yeah, I mean, I think it's to be expected when you look at who designed this. Uh, Antoine Bowser, who also gave us Takinoku and Hanabi and Ghost Stories. He, he's very, very on his um, accuracy with these. Although he does like, I think he said he's he's not creating complex games anymore. So we're just going to see stuff like... Tokaido from him going on and he's definitely stuck to that it's a lot of seven wonders coming out from him mm, right um, I just saw Fun. maybe you know something about it um, there is a game on board game geek supposed to come out in 2022 called Tokaido Duo. Same publisher, Antoine Bowser designer. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I hadn't I hadn't uh, even seen that. So um, apparently there is a two player version variant uh, whatever planned. Yeah. I the description's fantastic. In Tokaido Duo, you move on an island, seeing stuff and making memories. That okay. fits perfectly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, normally, I like one of them is, says better description needed, but I'm like, really? That's kind of just that sums up 
Takedo minus the consumerism. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not on an island. Well, well see, yes, it's still an island, but a different <laughs> one. <laughs> it's not the same island, let's say. Uh, probably not, yeah. Let's say the first one focuses on the road and the other one apparently focuses on the island. <laughs> so yeah, uh, maybe something to look out for. Um, I'll try to find out more and if it comes out, I'll try to get it. Yeah, what I'm seeing uh, is... Uh, th this was announced just just this week. Yeah, okay, no, to time date this episode, which normally I don't do, the 17th of May is when they announced this. Um, yeah, Funforge announced it on Facebook. Yeah. I mean, that's great, guys, but could you also perhaps concentrate on getting the expansions back into print, please? So, dear listeners, if you ever stumble across the Matsuri minis, please contact us. Fan needs them. <laughs> well, I need the whole expansion as well, separately, but... Oh, I don't need the whole expansion. I need half the expansion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I especially need the miniatures to hold the tray in place um, so it stops sliding everywhere. So you mean that you don't need the miniatures from themselves but to hold the tray in place? Okay, that's not it. Uh. I did for all of it. So it stops annoying me, so it does its job properly, so the insert works correctly. And then I'd actually paint the miniatures. I'm not painting them when there's only half of them in the box. You should really send me a picture of your insert because I, I, from what you are telling me, it's different than from the deluxe edition. And in the deluxe edition, there was actually an empty tray for the miniatures, but the miniature expansion, the miniatures for the expansion came in their own tray. So I have one over, basically. I, I could get you a tray without the miniatures. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, if it's a slightly rectangular tray where they sit in like two rows, then that's made of white plastic. So that would be it. Um, if I can find the miniatures without the tray, uh, then I'll get back to you. But yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see. For the moment, I'll just continue to play the app version and put this on the shelf and never rotate it out of the horizontal. Because if I do that, it becomes a real mess. Anyone knows anywhere that horizontal storage is the only one, right? <laughs> yeah. Also, um, regarding storing the game, at least the deluxe edition doesn't fit in a Kallax because ah! it's a very wide box but very flat. So, yeah. collector's edition is the same. It's uh, it's very wide. It's like. 80% of the length of a power grid box, but square and about slightly thicker than that. So it's like your traditional Rio Grande um, rectangular boxes, but it's even worse. It might be that retail edition fits. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the retail edition, I think, is a good enough game, especially for people who have non-gamers, for sure. Uh yeah. Shall we wrap up on Tokaido? Yeah, then? I guess there's nothing more to say than get it when you have the chance. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a nice, fun, little, relaxing game of taking baths and eating food with a beautiful look. And now we're going to transition to another very beautiful game about brewing potions and training animals. And I'm, I'm going to be saying this near the end, but I'm going to preface this right at the start, okay? Brew 
designed by Stevo Torres and published by Pandasaurus Games, is the meanest game I have ever played. It is so mean. And I'll explain why. But first of all, let's just I'm get into the I'm afraid now. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so there's a very, like... Um, loose concept that you're in like some kind of fantasy world where time got broke and all the seasons are happening at the same time and you're going to try and bring back balance uh it's got a cute almost pokemon-esque art style which kind of fits with the whole idea of training animals and everything but it is at its heart a dice work placement game for two to four players with a fair amount of area control uh, at the start of the game, you'll set up this little village board that goes in the middle. It has two sides. It's got five action locations on each. Um, two of the lo uh, two of the locations uh, any can have any number of dice put in there by different players, so that they can't be blocked. Every other dice location in this game can only be accessed by one player, with the exception of some dice stacking mechanics that are mean as heck. Um, then there is a forest deck. This is like, uh, there'll be one of those for each player plus one more. So two players, three forests, four players, five forests. They also That also determines the length of the game you're going to be playing. Um, once the deck is all gone through and all the forests are exhausted, you know you're at the end of the game. So there's more cards for three players and more cards for four players. And then there's like a section of the deck that's specifically two players or, uh, you know, or more. So they're all nicely identified. There's a deck for the potions. Um, these are worth points. They also have a once per game ability that you can use. A big part of the game is collecting ingredients to brew these potions. And then at some point you'll use the potions for their various effects. There's four decks of animals. They're, defined, they're divided by season. So spring, summer, autumn, winter. Uh, the decks are shuffled, but they're kept face up. So you can always see the animal that's on top to decide if you want to take that one um, and train it. Uh, each character, of which there are four, has six dice. Two of them are white elemental dice and four of them are foraging dice. The foraging dice match your colour, um, but they're identical for all players. Uh, in, in the case of every single dice, there's two pairs of symbols. So uh, on the foraging dice, there's two leaves, two rocks, two sticks. And on the elemental dice, there's two fire, two wind and two water. Uh, after you've all set up, you'll have your character, you'll have your dice, you'll have one wild resource and you'll decide whether you're going to play with special powers or if everyone's just going to play without them. So there's a bunch of asymmetric powers that each... Uh, of the brewers, I guess that would be their character name, have. Um, and for gamers, that's probably where you want to go. For more casual players, if you, well, you want to scar them horribly with a very mean game, then you might choose to teach them without the power abilities. A round's very simple. You roll your dice, and then from the start player, initially it's the last person to brew a cup of coffee. They're the start player. Um, they will take one of their dice, put it on one of the locations, do the ability on the location, just like a worker placement game. Then they can, if they want to, 
brew a potion, which requires paying the relevant resources from ingredients, and that goes into their hand, or they can play a potion from their hand for its effect, and then you just like tip, uh, tuck it underneath your character sheet uh, to show that it's been used, and it'll be worth still be worth points at the end of the game. Pretty straightforward. Uh, the locations vary. Uh, some of them let you gather an ingredient. Some of them let you uh, reserve potions. Um, some of them let you train creatures. And if you're training a creature, you just pick it from one of the piles, put it next to you. You're allowed up to three creatures at a time. The f there's one character on their unique power, they're allowed four. Uh, you'll find that people really love training the creatures because they're very weird looking and they also give you more powers and choices and options. So they seem, you know, it's an easy, like, get. And they're also worth points. The big, like, player interaction portion of the game, though, are the forest cards. So they're divided into the four different seasons. Some of them, though, are also, like, split between two seasons, which means they can count as either season. Uh, the seasons matter for purposes of either some animals will do special effects if you place a dice in a given season. And also, uh, when you have finished training an animal, when you're like, I'm done with you, um, you, you will release them. And they go over to the other side of your player board. And if you have a matching forest location, so an autumn creature with an autumn forest location then you can actually release the that creature into the forest and it will flip over for face down and it's worth more points so that's like a nice thing to do and you're always looking to go okay well i've got this creature of this season i want to get a forest that matches that season so i could retire it and increase its points um, usually i think it like triples the number of points they're worth normally they're worth one i think they go up to three when they're um properly honed and then the last thing that happens once everyone's placed all their dice is you do a area control battle to check who has won each of the locations. And it's fairly simple. If you have the majority of your foraging dice uh, in their place, then you win that location. And you'll get it, and it's worth points, and you can retire a animal there, um, uh, you know, make you create your own nature reserve and get even more points. If there's a tie, nobody gets it. If there are more white dice or or tied white dice, which are the elemental dice, then nobody gets it as well. So it is this kind of, it's this combination of Eurogame action blocking. And then on top of that, there's this push and pull of going for locations that starts to put a lot of tension between each other player. But then... You get to uh, the night side of the board and it changes what's going on. And one of the spaces is to scorch all empty squares in one forest. And scorching is a mechanic where you take a square and you put a little fire token in it and that action space can't be placed in by anyone. It's been scorched, it's been burnt to the ground. Uh, and that kind of blocks people from going to places they might want to use. It can shut people out from getting access to uh, like area control or even a resource they need. And that's where this game gets very mean because suddenly you're not just somebody going, oh, hey, you've taken that space I wanted to go to, or hey, I wanted to train that animal. 
Um, you've also got somebody walking in and placing a dice and then going, right, I'm going to burn everything in this forest. It's mine now. Um, and then somebody else looking and going, you'd think that, but I could put my dice on top of yours and it's mine now. And uh, in a two-player game, it's interesting because it creates a lot of tension and it's rare that you get a two-player area control game, um, which this is. But... Oh, three players. Sometimes you'll be playing it and one of the players will suddenly pipe up and go, could you two stop picking on me? Because like everything I'm doing, you're, you're both like shutting me off from it and treading on me and I've got the least points and I'm not able to do anything. I'm not having any fun. And it's this moment where the other players will suddenly be like, oh, heck, we weren't even thinking of that. We were just doing stuff. Or you have games with very... Um, should we say, players who tend to hold grudges and suddenly the, the forest will be getting burnt down all over the place and people will be like burning over each other's dice or stacking on top of them and it gets really cutthroat. So it's it's very much down to the playgroup, uh, but it, it escalates fast. If one person's being mean, then it, that's it. It's time for everybody to be mean. So, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a really pretty game. It looks like it should be accessible for the family and for children. And uh, <laughs> you've got to play nice, otherwise it is, um, it's bad times. It's mean times. Uh, my biggest downside with this is, first of all, it's Pandasaurus Games. They have standardised box sizes, which is great. This box is the same size as Dinosaur Roll and Write and Makikoro, uh, which is great. Uh, it sits on the shelf with them absolutely brilliantly. But it has one of the worst inserts I've ever seen. Like, I'm not joking uh, at all. Uh, Pandasaurus uh, tend to be a bit spotty with their inserts anyway. Uh, this one has... It has like a space for cards. And it has a space for the larger cards that come in the game. And then it has a square area that I guess is for the dice. So you're left with six different types of tokens. Their solution for that is to have a what looks like, I can only describe it as a four-leaf clover. Uh, it's four triangles joined together with a circle in the middle. They're all one area. So you can't separate the tokens at all. You just, you can't. And it drives me absolutely bonkers. And as a consequence, I've had to come to the solution of putting everything in baggies across like almost every single piece there we are I've, I've shared in the chat for the others that's the insert like i i i meant to put six different types of tokens into that space um i i, I is is this an insert for a different game i i don't understand do like, you want the tokens to be separated that's the important question <laughs> well they, they yes some of them are wild tokens some of them are points tokens there's three different types of ingredients and scorch tokens and a first player token yeah. so really yes you ideally would have one whale for the cards one whale for the larger cards which are sat underneath those dice bags and then like either an area for all the dice or four slots for each of the different players dice and then five six wells for, for all of them they could have done it so it feels 
almost like they appropriated a, a insert from another game, but I don't know what game. Unless there's like an expansion coming where you put this cross thing on the middle of the board. I got no idea. It's... I hate it. And it's made of plastic, so I don't want to throw it out because plastic in inserts is not often recyclable, so... I don't know. That's... Pandasaurus is terrible for this. They're roll and write... Um, the raw and write insert for um, Dinosaur Island has a ton of extra spaces in it that don't have any components to go in. And that might be future-proofing for expansions, which is fine, but this one... Such a pretty game and such an ugly insert. But yeah, that is Brew. Um, and it's pretty straightforward. When you know what you're doing, you can get going in about 30 minutes. I can get game done 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes to an hour if it's all four players. Uh, but um, yeah, if you're playing with people who might get upset about things, bad things happening to them, uh, maybe give this one a pass. If you like being really mean to your friends when playing, then Brew is a cute game with some really sharp teeth. Yeah, not for, not for me, not for me. <laughs> I haven't decided if it's for me yet. <laughs> uh, we get, we, we're going to play it in June uh, when the guys are down and see how it goes. Um, uh, luckily, the, the one of us who gets the most upset about people uh, interfering with his plans is not going to be present. So the highest level of screaming across the table isn't going to happen. And yes, he has actually, when we play Shadowhunters, he screamed and yelled at everyone at one point. <laughs> we had to talk to him about that. It's like, not cool. This is a game about like killing each other. It's going to happen. If somebody attacks you or takes your stuff, that's part of the game. But yeah, so brew can recommend it uh it would be giving it like a seven out of ten but i'm taking a point off for that terrible insert because it's bad for the environment and it's ugly as heck and it's useless and it annoys me so uh six out of ten for me but good game definitely mechanically solid and uh well from that little bloop about it we're gonna um Scurry along to what are hopefully some um, more normal animals being more pleasant to each other, maybe, as uh, Audrey tells us all about bees. Yes, bees, a game from Dan Halstad, illustrated by Chris Williams and published by Next Move Games. Bees is a pretty, let's say, bucolic game. It's about playing a bee and recolting pollen and to convert it into uh, honey. So the game is played into three phases where players take turns. The first phase is the flight plan, where you decide where your bee is going to go. The second one is uh, the harvesting of pollen. Depending on uh, where you end up landing, you will take pollen if there is some to take. And you won't take pollen if there is no pollen to take. Uh, that's a bit obvious, but it has to be uh, said. And then uh, placing the pollen uh, wood tokens that you uh, harvested on your um, um, honey making uh, play, uh, board. And we at the end of the game, you will... Uh, ah. 
at the end of the game, these uh, honey tokens will be converted, these pollen tokens will be converted into honey, aka victory points. So, as it stands, the, the game is pretty simple. These three phases, uh, I think, explained that way, are pretty easy to understand. It's like m many games actually make a plan, uh, get tokens, and use these tokens to make a combination of uh, some sort. The thing with B is that the very first uh, part is um, the flight plan. So the flight plan is uh, how to move your bee on the hexagonal grid, uh, which is composed of flowers. So there is a, a way to set up the flowers and some uh, leaves. When you want to move your bee, you have to look at uh, its base. The base of the bee is hexagonal, just as uh, the grid. Uh, which, who is written uh, on all the flowers, and on each side of that hexagon there is one or two figures written. At the head of the B there is a uh, zero written, or a O uh, crossed. On the two sides of this, so left front and right front, you have one slash five on both sides. Then on the two uh, backward sides, so left back and right back, you have 2 and 4, 2 slash 4, and behind the B there is written there is a 3 written. So this means that alongside each of these directions, the B can move of this amount of uh, hexagons in that direction, always in a straight direction, no uh, turning around. So that means that the B can't move forward. It can move backward of 3 spaces, it can move forward left of forward right of 1 or five spaces, it's not one, two, five, and it can move back left or back right on two or four squares. So that's how you decide where you can go. You, 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 could, you could even make a kind of a plastic pattern or paper or whichever materials you like, uh, make it like the size of the hexagons and have it uh, with the length corresponding to the movements. You can make one for the one and five, one and two, and one for the five and four movements, and you could even put them on your uh, B to see where you can end up. Once you have selected from these distances where you want to go, you will turn the B so that the B looks in that direction, and then do the movement. That part was very confusing for my parents. Because when you turn the B, the figures that correspond to the movement that you want to do aren't aligned anymore with the movement that you want to do. And so they had troubles remembering and keeping track of what uh, movements they were doing. So after you move, uh, you rotate the bee, you can uh, make it move in uh, a certain amount of uh, spaces in the direction, and depending on where the bee lands, if this hexagon is, is connected to a pollen token, you get that pollen token. And you can place it on your board. So if the bee lands at the uh, center of a flower, generally in the center of the flower when the setup of a game is made, there is a big uh, pollen token. And the first bee that ends up at the center of the flower gets the big pollen token and one of the smallest ones around. There are three small uh, pollen tokens for each flower. So the bee takes the big one and one of the small ones and puts them on the board. 
Now, when you put the pollen uh, tokens on the board, what do you do with them? So first, the board is, uh, again, as well hexagon shaped. And there are different rows. The first row is uh, composed of, I think it's five. And on each row, there, there are numbers written. These numbers correspond to spaces that the bee can move. And when you do, uh, when you pick up a pollen token, you have to put it in a space that has the figures uh, written that your bee just did. So that means that when you put the tokens uh, in the board, you have to think a bit about where you want to put it. So the middle row is one. Then the two uh, rows around the middle one are two and three. And the two final rows are four and five. So uh, that means that you can do some patterns with the pollens. And these patterns are going to be things that can score you points. Now, how? During the game, uh, at the end of the game setup, there are three objectives that are going to be chosen, which are common objectives. There is one which says, do this pattern, which can be three pollen in a triangle uh, pattern, or in a semicircle pattern, etc., of the same color. Because, yes, the pollen have colors corresponding to the flowers they come from. A pollen coming from yellow uh, petals from a flower will be yellow. If the center of the flower is teal, the pollen from the center of the flower will be teal. And so you will put this pollen on the board, trying to make the patterns that fit with that first uh, common objective. Or there is the second objective, which is um, generally like filling lines or filling the outside of the board or something like that. And the final one is just one color and you will get points if you have, you will get two points, for instance, for each teal pollen that you have at the end of the game. And each player gets one uh, of each objective file, keeps two and discards the last one. So, as in many games, you will have some common objectives and some personal objectives. So, based from the common objectives, you can see where the other players are going, if you are interested in that. Or you can just say, oh, I don't care what my uh, opponents are doing, I'm just going to move my bee around and uh, harvest pollen. Now, how does the game end? The first player to harvest uh, 12 pollen starts the end of the game. The turn ends and then the game is over. As it can happen that you harvest two pollen at a time, the ending player can end up with 13 pollen and not 12. So there are slots at the top of the board where we have another wooden token that we move along and we are supposed to move each one step to the right each time we harvest uh, one pollen. We really had troubles to keep track of that, to be honest. It's very hard to think about, yeah, I'm getting one pollen, I'm putting this on my board, and then I'm moving that uh, space, where actually you can, you can just, at each time, uh, count again as many, uh, how many pollen you have on your board, and just say, oh, okay, I need two more, and then that's the game, and if I'm the one triggering it. So I don't, feel that this, I don't think that this part is very uh, useful, but I'm sure some other people uh, use it and use it well. <laughs> And so that's uh, most of bees. Um, 
I think that getting the B movement right is the hardest part of the game, as uh, when I'm as I mentioned previously, when you turn the B uh, to move, you turn the directions, and so you can forget about it. Um, my husband suggested as an alternative to say, okay, I'm going to move, let's say five spaces uh, at the forward uh, left direction. You move the B in that direction, and then you turn it uh, so that it faces, um, it ends up facing where it was uh, going. Uh, but that added more confusions to my parents. So I, I said, no, 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 just uh, because as they are looking at me right now, it's not great. So. Um, yeah, I think that once you have figured that bit, uh, it's okay. But uh, for some, let's say, unexperienced uh, with board games people, or some people that don't have great, uh, let's say, special visualization, it could be problematic. But mostly for the movement part. Uh, overall, the game has a 7, almost 7. Uh, it's a 6.9 rating on board Game Geek, and I think it's pretty fair. Um, the game is, is, is fun, it's not very, let's say, groundbreaking. Uh, the bees are cute. Um, it can be played by literally al almost anyone once you figure out the two or three uh, small, uh, let's say, uh, specific. Speci specific uh, things and uh, as Fen mentioned the insert on the previous game brew uh, I will talk just uh, three seconds about the bees insert uh, it's a cool insert I think the box could have been a bit smaller with an insert that loses less uh, space which is pretty common um, but the tiles uh, the flower tiles are all pretty well secured inside there are um, places to put all the little uh, wood tokens for the pollens. I really enjoy the fact that these pollen tokens are wood, uh, painted wood, and they're, they're, they're not very big, they're just good enough. And uh, the double layer board with acrylic uh, parts so that you can store the small or the big pollens are, I think, fine. And except the fact that you put big pollens at the center of the flowers, they don't have any incidence on the game. Big pollens don't score more, more points, big pollens don't uh, count more for combination. I don't think I've seen any objective that ask you to have big pollens. So that's just one thing that I wonder what it's there for. Except maybe it's maybe it's there for a future expansion. Big pollen, big honey, big fun. M maybe, I don't know, but for now, um, Everyone was puzzled and asked, why are there four? Why? Why? And I couldn't answer. <laughs> yeah, that was going to be one of my questions was, uh, what does the, the big pollen do? And you've answered that. Uh, it seems like nothing. Yeah. Um, I, I've got to say, like on the engineering front, this game is really well put together. I can see this as being definitely a game that will wow people, um, at least visually. You're going to whoops, people stopping and uh, walking by. You know, while they're walking by, they'll stop and look and be like, "Ooh, what's what's going on here?" Um, the bees are super cute. Uh, I had a question. The tiles appear to be in two different colors: the hexagonal flower and leaf tiles. 
Is there a relevance to that? Uh, for the colors, no. Uh, I didn't mention that from the leaves, but the leaves have some water droplets on them, and if your bee lands on the water droplet, the bee refresh refreshes itself, and you can do another movement. Right, okay. So the, the, the fact that some of them are like a lighter yellow doesn't mean anything. I think it just helps to place them. Right, yeah. Okay, so for setup. Yeah, then. there are a few mm. rules for setup, like you can't put uh, two color, two flowers of the same color adjacent, and you have to spread a bit the leaves. That's okay. most of it. Mm. So, so it's a visual aid again. I, I, I think unless it's being used at some point in a later expansion. Oh yeah, may, maybe uh, big pollen, big honey, big fun will um, will include. Uh, extra rules for it yeah maybe um, um how uh, you talked a bit about the difficulty um that they're having with the navigation and movement it, it, how much of a pre-programming quite type thing is it because um like pre-programming movement is one of those things that makes me walk away from a game uh robo rally quite famously so uh so is it I will say that honestly, personally, I can count my next move, but I can't. Uh, I can't personally count further than that, as I just have a trouble figuring out how my bee is going to land on that, uh, facing that direction, and so then I will be able to go there. And there. I, I personally have a hard time to that be because I just can't, in my mind, let's say, uh, save the position that the bee will end up in. Yeah. Okay, so it sounds like something Alessio would enjoy because he likes pre-programming stuff. But um, honestly, the game is light enough that if you play with your parents, you don't really have to care. But if you play with, uh, let's say, uh, two or three of the hardcore gamers and they're like, yeah, I'm going to trash you and I'm going to get all the points, beware, beware. <laughs> Mm. So, um, what happens? Can the bees like collide with each other while moving around? No. If uh, you want to go someplace where there is already a bee, it's like in Tokaido. You just can't. Right. So, so somebody potentially could block your flight path. Yeah, but uh, at the very start of the game, all the bees are in a central hexagonal tile, and they all start going in a different direction. So right. odds are that you won't find uh, yourself, let's say, conflicting with another bee for pollen uh, before the game gets pretty well advanced. Uh, mm -hmm. So you have a few turns uh, alone. Okay, yeah, I can see that typically the bees, if you played... We only play four players maximum, don't you? Uh, yeah, when, when my parents are there. And the setup of the game also is different depending on how many players you have. You don't mm -hmm. make the same pattern. So you have more pollen available when you are more players and less uh, when you are less players. Yeah, yeah. So the closest anyone might be uh, after, like initially is about two, two hexa hexagons apart. That's, that's a fair bit of space. Yeah, but yeah. as well, uh, as the um, um, center most flowers don't have the big pollen at the center, that's again one of the placement rules. Uh, you, <laughs> at the beginning, you want to try and go away from the center so that you try to pick these two pollen at a time. So that really adds to the generally you won't be conflicting uh, right away. Yeah, so the game by layout and reward encourages you to uh, bumble away on your own and only worry about competing later. Got it. Exactly. That's good. Yeah. 
Hmm. And I, 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 I won the game by a fair margin, I will say, because my parents were uh, busy figuring out how to move. And I mostly won because I collected uh, lots of teal pollen. And I mean, teal is my favorite color, and it was the one with a special common objective. So yeah, <laughs> teal. And uh, because I, uh, I managed to arrange them following one of the patterns of uh, an, a pattern objective. And that scored me really lots of points. And meanwhile, I was explaining to my parents how to move their be. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds like unfortunately it's just not going to get on the table much with me. Um, probably not the target audience, but I will say that I am the target audience for that kind of insert. If you're going to make an insert out of plastic, that's the kind of insert that I think is justified. It's holding everything in place, although I do agree maybe what they've used to encapsulate the bees is a little bit of overkill. Are those bees fragile? Um, the the wings seems a bit not not uh, let's say not very thick, but just slightly enough to say yeah you're probably not going to break it uh, hmm. if you drop the bee. Uh, but I wouldn't step on one. All right, <laughs> I think stepping on bees is something we all should avoid doing, whether they are plastic or not. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, go on. The insert probably doesn't fit the expansion. Oh, you're right. The, the pollen in the expansion is so big and the honey is so massive that, yeah, you wouldn't be able to contain it along with all of the fun. Well, I actually mean the real expansion that exists for the game, not the... <laughs> oh. Uh, to, yeah. Butterfly expansion. Yes, Where there you is. you have a little butterfly. Oh, this something. is cute. Oh, it's a mini, <laughs> mini expansion uh, giving versatility in how to store your nectar and help with uh, end game storing. Mm. It's one butterfly, one rule book and three tiles. Lovely. Yeah, I, I think you can still manage to fit that in. Uh, but some places will be moving around, to be honest. Like the butterfly. You will fit it in, yeah. but under the insert, more more likely. Mm. A butterfly is a real big cell. It's a big draw, that is. But no, 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 no. I, I would have to be strong. Um, <laughs> I love bees. We've got plenty in the garden. Uh, so, yeah. That's a, a nice game, though. Um, I... I Big points for that, the engineering and making it so pretty and obviously very practical. There's a lot of thought behind what they've chosen to do with the different colorations and and everything. And it looks reasonably colorblind friendly. I mean, these are not the tradition. There's not, not red and green sitting next to here very much. Uh, I would say that I am not sure either because that was lots of years ago when I was in uh, school, uh, my first year of university, and I had a partner in uh, lab classes uh, which said basically that he couldn't figure out most of the colors anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are a bunch of different color blindness apart from the most common one of red-green. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, um. Wow. With this game, I did notice one thing. Mm -hmm. um, because I feel a little bit stupid. You started explaining and I was really confused. Like, wait, what? Huh? This doesn't sound like a game. Because when I read, okay, you're talking about bees. I thought, oh yeah, the bee game, Honey Buzz. 
Yeah, the two games were out, I think, the same year uh, also, and uh, everyone was like, yeah, this is the year of the B. And <laughs> yeah, I wasn't aware that there was a second B game, so... Um... <laughs> Honey Buzz is one that I keep looking at, and I'm yes. very tempted. It's it's had good reports all round. It's, it looks nice, and it's a... The bees have discovered economics. Fantastic. Buy, sell, buy, sell. It looks more, let's say, sugary than bees. Uh, more uh, bling uh, than bees, but bees looks more... Um, oh, I, I'm not sure what's the word in English, but in French it's épuré, like, a bit uh, simple, but not simplistic. You see, like, no, not going for fancy, but working stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I get get what you mean. Hmm. Well, maybe some point in the future, somebody will crack in and we'll also talk about Honey Buzz. Maybe. Now I've seen there's lots of deluxe add-ons. I'm going to close that page and I'm not going near it. Nope, nope. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to help myself. I can't. Yeah. Well, uh, I think that's all we have to say about bees, yeah? Yeah, I think. Yeah. Okay, well, that means we're out of time for this podcast. Thank you for listening to The Last Standee. You can catch us over at www.patreon.com forward slash The Last Standee or follow us as The Last Standee on Twitter or subscribe on your preferred podcast or sometimes you can catch some of us in the wild over on Board Game Geek or maybe even on Reddit. Sometimes, occasionally, I post a message there. Uh, so it's farewell from Audrey. Bye-bye. Cara? Auf Wiederhören. And myself. And remember that the second E in Standy is for enchanting.